Hello, chefs. You're listening to Chef's PSA Podcast. I'm your host, Andre Natera. On today's episode, we're going to get into Q&A Part 2, continuation of last week's Q&A, so stay tuned. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. So before we begin, I'll give you a quick update. I've been on a couple of podcasts this week. If you follow me on social, you'll see that I posted them. I was on Flavors Unknown doing a panel discussion on leadership. Go check that out. I thought the conversation was great. I was also on the Line Cook Thoughts podcast discussing AI. And then I've uh, recently recorded another episode of, you know, crossover episode with uh, Roots Hospitality and Chef's PSA. And that'll be out uh, later this month. So I'm excited about about that. It's always good to be uh, talking shop with other chefs and people in the industry and discuss discuss some of the topics. You know, it's, it's good to do the question and answer format. Actually, that's a reason why I'm doing this Q&A part two, because I do enjoy the Q&A format. So, you know, I could come up with a subject on my own and then, you know, ramble on. But I enjoy when you all send me questions and things that you want me to talk about on the podcast because I know that's that's something that interests you also. It benefits me to talk about them, and I know that it benefits you to hear my perspective on them, so that's good. The other thing I want to talk about is I started writing The Kitchen Art of War, and I got to tell you that I am loving writing this book. So, um, you know, for those of you that are unfamiliar, The Art of War is, uh, you know, it's an Eastern philosophy classic written by Sun Tzu, and it's basically a book on strategy, war tactics, you know, the militaries all over the world have actually been using this for years. Um, and I, it's, it's a book that I enjoy. It's a very short read. So, um, it's maybe 18 pages long. If you haven't read the art of war, you should, I, th- I think the art of war should be read by anyone, uh, especially if you're a chef. So you understand strategy. So what I'm doing is I am reading the art of war. I'm sorry. I'm writing the art of war. And what I'm doing is I'm matching it exactly to the book. So for example, if there is uh, chapter two in the art of war is waging war. And if there is 20 bullet points in chapter two, Chapter two for the kitchen art of war will be 20 bullet points as well. And they will be an interpretation through a chef's eyes of, you know, the classic art of war written by Sun Tzu. So I'm having a lot of fun writing it. You know, I get to, I get to channel my inner Sun Tzu. I think you all will enjoy it. I'm trying to make it very applicable to kitchen life and make it very relevant to some of the problems that a lot of chefs and cooks face in the industry. So I, I'm, I'm going to enjoy it. Um, it's going to be an ebook. I don't think I will print it. So I'll probably just sell the ebook version uh, just because it's going to be so short. It'll be uh, roughly 18 to 20 pages. I'm going to incorporate some of the art that I've been making on Midjourney. So Midjourney is an AI software that does um, basically AI generated art. And I've been working with it recently. It's I'm, I'm blown away with the quality of the art that is able to be created on Midjourney. So if you haven't messed around with it, you should. You go in, you type in a prompt, you type, you know, imagine, and then the prompt that you want. Um, there's some tricks to it. You could put weights and 
um, you know, different styles of art that you want. The better I get with it, you know, the better the, the quality of art inside the, uh, um, inside the book and also in future projects, I'll start using mid journey a lot. It's, um, it's a great resource. So if you haven't started using mid journey, if, if, you know, if you're paying someone to do your art for you, you should highly consider it because it's much cheaper and, um, I pay for it so I could, so I could mess up a lot. Right. Cause I think you only get like 25, I think you only generate 25 images with a free version. So I pay for it so I could have an unlimited version of images I can create. I did a poll on Instagram. I selected two covers and I just wanted people to choose which one do you like this one or that one. And, and I gave a third option, which was, or none of them and keep working at it. And most people selected none of them keep working at it. And so I put up all the, versions of the cover for Kitchen Art of War that I didn't like and everyone seemed to like two or three. Um, the one that won, so for those of you, you know, you couldn't see the results because I said like it if that's the one that you like the most. The one that won was the, um, it was like a sketch with a coffee cup on it and had some some drawings and little chess pieces on it. So that's the one that won. That'll be the cover. But I enjoyed making the other images so much. I'm going to incorporate those uh, into the ebook. So you'll have the Kitchen Art of War, plus you'll have some of the art that I generated through Mid Journey. It'll be fun nonetheless. But anyway, let's get into the Q&A. The first question I have here today is, do you think being a cook today is harder than when I was coming up as a cook. And mm, I mean, hard is hard. It's all, it's all relative. I don't, I don't know if it's necessarily harder. Now, having come up in the era that I came up in and having you know managed kitchens in the era that cooks are coming up in now, I think it's easier for a cook to come up now for a couple of reasons. Um, and I'm not saying better. I just think that there's, there's certain things that do make it easier. One, you have better access to cooking equipment in general. You know, you have combi therm ovens, circulators, um, all sorts of tools and gadgets that are more readily accessible where, you know, in my era that was coming up was basically saute pans, tongs, and ovens and stoves, right? It was much more basic. So now I think you have much more tools at your disposal. I also think the access to social media allows you to learn techniques much more rapidly. And you have access to things like podcasts, videos, things like that, where you could learn, uh, where before it was like, when I was coming up as a cook, it was just yourself and the chef and the cooks around you. So that's all you really had to learn from it. If you were in a, in a restaurant job, now think about this, right? So I'm a line cook, 1997. And the only people I'm talking to is the saute cook that works next to me and my chef. And back then, you know, chefs were a little bit reluctant to share recipes with you. So the only way you would learn was by watching, right? Watching people move in the kitchen. So nowadays you could, if, if you don't have the confidence to ask your chef the question, you could Google it. You could listen to a podcast. You could search on YouTube, et cetera. So the access to information makes it a little bit easier. And then also, you know, it's, uh, the era of, of cooking that I came up in, there was just certain things that were expected and people understood that there, you know, the unwritten rules like, okay, you got to come in and your line needs to be set up at this time. So you, you got to figure it out. So that means you might need to come in early. You might need to come in off the clock. You might need to take some prep home. And that was just normal. No, no one thought twice about it where now I think at least, at least in most places, cause I'm sure there's still some places that do that. 
but in most places you get paid for what you work where previously um, in, in you know the era that I came up and you didn't always get paid for what you worked and so I think that's a good thing I think you know getting paid for what you work um, it's it's a much more respectable approach to to cooking so do I think it's easier no because hard is hard right a, a 10 hour day is a 10 hour day standing on your feet it's hot you know, the kitchens are still hot the pressure is still there the tickets are still coming in so I don't think that's changed from the era that I was coming up or the era that people are cooking in now but what I do think now that's different is the access to information and some of the uh, the work practices and the kitchen culture I think is a lot better so anyway hope that answers the question the next question I have here is, what's the hardest part since retiring about not being a chef? Now, that's a really good question because people that may know, if you've been listening to this podcast or if you know me, you know that I stepped away from cooking about a year ago and I decided to focus full-time on Chef's PSA. Now, what you may not know is for about the first six months after I retired, so I retired in January, I really didn't start Chef's PSA until, until July. So for the first six months or seven months of the year, you know, I was doing nothing. I was sitting on the couch. I was getting fat. I was eating. I was smoking cigars. I was on the beach, whatever. I wasn't really doing anything. And then finally, I was like, okay, I, I got to hustle and I got to get after it. Um, but I think the biggest thing that's been difficult is when you're a chef or you're a cook in a kitchen, you have a tribe and you're a part of a community and you're, par you're a part of that community of cooks and chefs. And once you leave that, um, all of a sudden you're out there in the world and it's like, I don't have that relationship with people the way I did in the kitchen. You know, we, we laugh at the same jokes, you know, we know what to talk about. We can talk about food, whatever the case may be. And you know, you're, you're with your people, you're with your tribe. And now I went from constantly being around people. So just to give you an example, in my previous job, um, I had over a hundred employees, 20 sous chefs, something like that. But there was a ton of people that also worked in the same building. So uh, let's just say there was 800 people constantly around. So if I wanted to have a conversation, there was always people around. There was always something to do. There was always action. There was always excitement where now it's like, oh, shit, who am I going to talk to? All my friends that are chefs are at work. When I say, hey, what are you doing? They're like, we're busy working. We're not all retired. We're not all just sitting on the couch and posting memes on Instagram. So I would say that's probably been the most difficult thing in my transition from uh, chef to no longer being a chef is that just just having people around to talk to you, you, you really take that from for granted is just being around people having your tribe around. That's that's probably been the biggest thing that I miss the most. I miss the camaraderie. I don't necessarily uh, think, oh, I can't wait to get back in the kitchen because I want to make this. Like that, That's not what I miss. What I miss is just being around my team of chefs and just that excitement and that adrenaline rush being around people. So anyway, hope that answers the question. The next question is, how does someone who's new in the kitchen impress you? I would say how they work, how they move. Obviously, if you've been in a kitchen and if they're if they're a new employee, I could tell right away like what level of kitchen they came from. Did they come from you know a three Michelin star kitchen or did they you know come from you know straight out of culinary school? You could tell how people work and how they move. Do they have a sense of urgency? How clean do they work? You know how do they set up their station? You could tell how experienced someone is just by how they move throughout the kitchen. What I like to call kitchen karate, right? I would say that's something that impresses me a lot when someone knows how to move in a kitchen. I don't, I don't care about it's your first day. Do you know the recipes? I care. Do you know how to work in a kitchen? And you could see that right away. If you've been around kitchens long enough, you know who gets it and who doesn't 
like within within just a couple of minutes of them setting up their station. So I would say that impresses me. The other thing that impresses me, it's the simple things, right? Do they listen? Do they show up with a notepad? Um, do they engage with other people in the kitchen? Are they friendly? Are they polite? Do they have a big ego? On day one, are they coming to you and telling you everywhere they've staged and all their menu ideas and all this other blah, blah, blah. Like no one cares about that on day one. They want to know, do you fit in with the team? So that that is important to me is like, how are you as an individual? Are you the type of person that's going to come in and shake everyone's hand? Or are you the type of person that's going to come in and, you know, talk about how you did it at the last job, right? The person that comes in and says, oh, at my last job, why do you do it that way? At my last job, we thought it was this way and it was better actually. Like no one likes to hear that shit on the first day. So I would say that is what impresses me is someone that's respectful and has a sense of urgency and knows how to move in a, move in a kitchen. Those are the things that impress me the most, but good question. The next question is what is something terrible you have seen in a kitchen? Um, I've seen a lot of terrible things, but I'll tell you a story. So this is a good story because there is, there is a, you know, kind of a lesson in it. So I used to work for this chef early on in my career and I won't say who it was, but I, you know, he was, he was a little bit of an asshole had a Machiavellian nature about him. And I was still very young and in culinary school. So I asked him as part of my, um, as part of my training, if I could shadow him for a day and just see what he does so I could learn what it takes to be a chef. And he was like, yeah, of course you could shadow me. So he's like, we're going to do a kitchen walk. And I want you to see how I do a kitchen walk around the kitchens, inspect the stations and interact with the chefs. I said, okay. So the first thing he did was he's like, don't say nothing, just take notes. So I'm just walking around with a, you know, a pen and a clipboard. And he grabs a handful of silverware. And the first thing he does is he throws it in the trash and then he puts more trash on top. And I kind of look at him and he just, you know, puts his finger to his lips and makes the shush, don't say nothing. And I'm like, well, what, why did he do that? Like that costs money. I didn't understand why he did that. And then we proceeded to walk around the kitchen and he would taste the mise en place and he would check people's things. And he would, you know, back then it's like you pick up someone's knife and you'd feel it. And if it wasn't sharp, it was very normal for the chef to throw your knife in the trash. You pick it up. It's not sharp. It goes in the trash. So I was watching him do all this. And, and again, this is not surprising stuff. It's probably surprising now, but it wasn't surprising then, right? You walk up to someone and if their Bane water was dirty and it's like, okay, you got to drink it. You're not going to drink it. You better drink it. Or then you better change your Bane water. So these were some of the things that he's doing. And I'm watching him. He's tasting and throwing that way that mise en place sucks and you know dump it but you're not 86 in anything you better be ready for service and that starts in 30 minutes and so i'm watching all this and i'm like boy this guy's hardcore anyway we go back to where we begun the walk and that is where he threw the silverware away and he calls over someone from the stewarding the uh the lead steward um and he says have you been doing garbage can audits and what that means for people that might be unfamiliar with the term is back in the day, you know, it's, it's a big deal. Silverware is expensive in restaurants. So a lot of times people will, you know, lay out some plastic on the, on the loading dock or the delivery area and they'll dump a garbage can and they'll rake it to see if there's silverware in there to audit and hopefully preserve their equipment. And so that's called a garbage can audit. And that was very common practice you know, back then, I'm sure it still is. But anyway, I, I, that's the that's what a garbage can audit is. And so he goes up to the lead steward and says, did you do a garbage can audit? And the lead steward says, yes, chef, I do them every day. He's like, are you sure? And he says, yes, chef. And he says, so if I dump that garbage can over, you're telling me there's going to be no silverware in there. And he says, no, chef. 
And so the chef gets the garbage can, he dumps it all over the floor. And then he says, well, then what the hell is that? And he points out all the silverware in the, uh, in the garbage can. And he says, clean this up. And he storms off. And that was the end of our walk. And I'm like, what the hell did I just witness? Like, that was a total setup. And I was like, what the hell is this all about? Like, my mind is spinning. So I go up to the chef, I go into his office, and I say, chef, why did you do that? And he's like, because. He's like, do you know how much of an asshole I'd be if I dumped that garbage can over and there was no silverware in there? He's like, if I did that and there was no silverware in there, he says, I'd have to be stuck there cleaning it up and I'd be an asshole. He's like, this way, I'm not the asshole, but I know I have a very good man in my lead steward that is checking the garbage cans. Anyway, it's a pretty screwed up story. <laughs> and uh, I felt bad for everyone involved, myself included, because I'm like, geez, this chef is teaching me the wrong way. I had to go back to my culinary school and tell my chefs, like, guess what I just saw? Anyway. They explained to me at school, like, hey, uh, this shit happens. So anyway, long story short, that's something screwed up that I've seen in a kitchen. That's a terrible thing. Uh, don't do that. Don't emulate that, chef. But uh, the, I guess the lesson there is, and maybe don't do this yourself, but you know, have a make, make sure you have a, a plan A and a plan B always, because things aren't always going to go the way you want. So anyway, good question. The next question is, what music do you listen to in the kitchen? Now... I think I posted about this a long time ago. I don't listen to music in the kitchen. In most kitchens that I've come up in, it's been no music. And the reason that was is the type of kitchens I came up in was a quiet kitchen is a focused kitchen. So there was never music allowed. Now, early on in my career, um, one of my chefs had promoted me up. And so it was my first executive chef job. But the former executive chef was still in the building. And one of the first things that I decided to do when I became the chef was like, I'm going to change the rules, music in the kitchen. I want to have mu music in the kitchen. So I told the cooks that as your new leader, as the new chef, music is back on. Everyone's allowed to listen to music and this, that, and the other. So we put the radio in the kitchen. And after so many years of never having music in the kitchen, I didn't really like it. So I'm listening to music in the kitchen. It's like, ah, I don't know if I like this. And because, you know, I'm I'm trying to be a, a, a man of the people. I would let them decide what to listen to. So uh, in this particular case, they were listening to some Mexican music. And I heard two of the ladies arguing over the radio station. And I come around the corner and they were literally fist fighting in the kitchen over the radio station. And I had to break it up. And I just remember thinking, oh, shit, like... Look at it's like the first first couple of days of allowing a radio in the kitchen and you've already had to break up a fist fight. Anyway, does that always happen? No, but I stopped music that day and I've never listened to music in the kitchen since. It's just a personal preference. I know a lot of kitchens do like uh, having music in the kitchen. It's an argument that I've gone back and forth on with many chefs uh, that have worked with me like, oh, why don't you allow music? I, I just don't like it. It's a personal preference. I came up in kitchens without music, so I don't like music in the kitchen. Um, during COVID though, and when we, we all came back after uh, you know our, our kitchen opened, we had music in the kitchen. And I got to tell you, it felt weird during prep to be blasting music. So to answer your question, what kind of music do I listen to? Uh, it was, you know, early 90s, 2000s hip hop. So Wu-Tang, Nas, Biggie, Tupac, Gangstar. That's the kind of music that I enjoy listening uh, for that very brief moment in time when we were listening to music in the kitchen. That's what I was listening to. So hope that answers. The next question is, what do you think a chef needs to do to stand out? I'll give you an example. I, uh, by the way, this is a really good question. I think in today's world, you need to stand out with your food. You need to stand out on social media. And 
in a best case scenario, you're going to stand out in a combination of the two. So you have a, you have a public persona and then you have the food that you're putting out. So both can get recognition. Now I'll tell you that when you're looking at social media, if you're like me and you're scrolling and you're scrolling and you're scrolling, and if you follow a lot of chefs, you see pretty food, pretty food, pretty food, pretty food. And then all of a sudden you see something different and you stop and you pay attention because after a while, all the pretty food starts to blend together and you can't tell if it's from this chef or that chef or the next chef, you know, it all kind of looks the same. It's all pretty, right? It's all some beautiful fish with some green oil in a, in a broken sauce in a beautiful plate with a canal of something like it, it all looks the same after a while. But every now and again, you see someone doing something different, whether that is a cooking reel or plating or behind the scenes or interviewing their, their team in the kitchen or something different other than just the plate. So if, if I was to tell someone like, what would, what would I do to stand out? If I was a chef right now, I would be showing everything except the food, maybe my personality, maybe the personality of my team. So I think they need to showcase something that's unique to them and make and humanize them a little bit, give them a little personality, give them a little bit of character, let people know who you are other than just a pretty plate. So that's number one. And then number two, when it comes to food, I would say, obviously do you, right? What is your food and stand out and do something that's interesting and unique to you. Because like I said, on, on social media, when you're scrolling, all the food looks the same. Well, the same thing applies to the restaurant world. All the food out there in a lot of restaurants starts to look the same. So if you run a specific type of restaurant, then you got to have these five dishes on it. It doesn't matter what genre you're in. So maybe you think to yourself, well, if everyone's doing this, maybe I could do that, right? If everyone's going right, maybe go left or vice versa. So I say, if you want to stand out with your food, you need to do something that's different and unique because if you're doing the same thing that everyone else is doing, you end up at the same place as everyone else. If you want to end up somewhere different, then you need to do something different. And a good example is if you look at all the most influential chefs in the past, you know, 20 years, your Thomas Kellers, your Rene Redzepi's, your Ferran Adria, Grand Ackett's, whatever the case may be, they all did something that was unique to them, right? They were doing them where other people were copying them. So that would be my advice is do something that's unique to you, whether it's your uh, food that you've created that's original ideas, or maybe it's food that from, from your hometown or food that you grew up in, whatever the case may be, but make it your signature to stand out, right? Let people know that when they see that food, ah, that came from so-and-so. Anyway, that would be my advice to a chef that's looking to stand out now is one, you have to embrace social media. It's not going anywhere. And two, make sure your food is interesting as well. Okay, last question before we wrap it up is what do you see that we are not paying attention to right now? Now, I spoke about this on another podcast on Line Cook Thoughts in my interview um, there. What I'll say is I, I know a lot of people may be reluctant to look at AI and I've been working with it um, with ChatGPT and I've been looking at MidJourney for images and things like that. And I can tell you that AI is not going anywhere. It's kind of like Google, like Google's not going anywhere. And, you know, 20 years ago or whatever, when Google came out to say you weren't going to embrace it, you would have, you know, today you'd be looked at as a fool if you didn't embrace it. Like I, I don't see it going anywhere. So I think it's important to understand that you need to start embracing this. Now, with that, you start to see a lot of layoffs in the tech world. So uh, Twitter, Facebook, Google, a lot of these a lot of these larger tech companies have started doing major layoffs. I think I read the other day that Microsoft um, 
laid off. I don't, I don't remember. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Anyway, Microsoft laid off a bunch of people. So you're seeing a lot of layoffs in the tech world, and you can't help but wonder if a lot of these layoffs are due to AI, right? They might not come out and say it, but I mean, we don't know. We're not in, in those positions. Could it be that they've just found it's more efficient if they have AI do some of these other jobs that people used to do? So let's just assume, right? Just, just put your tinfoil hat on for a moment and assume that that's the case. Now, what ends up happening is when you have a large group of people in an industry that have become displaced is they have to find new jobs. Now, everyone thought, oh, AI is going to come along and displace all these chefs and it's going to cook our food. I don't think that's the case. I don't see AI coming in and cooking for you. I see it helping you write recipes and things like that, organize your kitchen, do a lot of the admin work, but I don't see it coming um, for the culinary jobs. Maybe in super fast food, you know, McDonald's and things like that, um, they might have robots and whatnot where it's you know, relatively step one, step two, step three, and sell. But the second that you have to have a cook's intuition, I think you still need the cook. I don't know if the robot can tell the difference between salt and sugar or MSG or AP flour and pastry flour and bread flour and so on and so on. Are they going to put powdered sugar? Are they going to put flour in the, in the recipe? So I do think that you still need a cook there. Is, is the AI robot going to know that the milk is spoiled or that the tomatoes aren't ripe? Or that the bananas are overripe. I, I don't know if I don't know if we're there yet. So I think a lot of the blue collar work will be the first thing to be displaced. Now, where it all ties in is when I was a chef coming up, and you know during the period of 9/11 and the 2008 uh, crash, financial crash, there was a lot of people in many different sectors of industry that decided to change careers, and a lot of people went into cooking, and that was because there was this major explosion of the Food Network. Shows like Iron Chef. And so you had all these people coming into an industry that weren't necessarily from the industry. And I could tell you as a chef, because this was, you know, kind of, um, this was my rise as a chef, as a head chef, executive chef. And I remember I would have one position. I have like 20 people applying for it. So it was the market for the people that were hiring for the chef. It was a chef's market. So you'd have 20 cooks applying for one position and, you know, you wonder why there's low wages and this, that, and the other. And, well, a lot of that conversation is because it was a supply and demand thing. There was so much for cooks to get jobs, but there was only a finite number of cook jobs available. So you could pick and choose, right? I would, I would literally have stacks of resumes, like sometimes 30 resumes for one job. And, I, and I'm not joking. It was, it was a wild time. So then you fast forward to you know, the era that we're in now and, and really the displacement after the pandemic. And you had all these restaurants closing. You had all these restaurants open. You had a lot of people that decided to change careers. And you have the shortage of cooks. It became a cook's market where they were playing arbitrage between restaurants and saying, oh, they pay me $2 more here and they'll pay me $3 more there. And you keep going back and forth. And before you know it, everyone has raised their rates. And I, I know for a fact, I've seen a lot of places go from, I'm making this number up, kind of, like from $15 an hour for cooks up to $25 an hour for cooks. Now, that's a huge rate increase in a matter of a year. Or, or not even a year, it's been three years, right? So in three years, to see about a $10 increase in Cook's wages is absolutely crazy because we didn't go from $5 to $15, um, $15 an hour in you know, probably uh, 20, 30 years before that. So it's interesting to see this major spike in pay. Now, 
to the point that I'm trying to make is, is a lot of people are leaving industries and they're going to think, okay, what am I going to do next as a job? I think you're going to see a lot of people change careers that their positions were being displaced through AI are going to go back into the blue collar work because they're going to say, well, I have a passion for cooking. So let me go, let me go uh, become a chef. Let me start cooking for a living. And I think it very quickly may shift again from a uh, cook's market back to a chef's market. And so the reason I say that is because if you listen to this podcast, one, I'm giving you this information. I could be wrong, but I might be giving you an advantage later on. And so if you know this, the best thing you could do right now is to, to get some stability in your position, get more money right now, and really start to position yourself well within the company and that you keep the chefs because a lot of people may start coming into this industry that weren't in this industry and it may uh, saturate the market a little bit again with cooks because now we're not dealing with the massive reopening post COVID. So I would say, and I could be wrong, but I would say that is something that I have been thinking about. And I think that um, it's naive to not think about that. So anyway, that's my two cents on that. Maybe I'm wrong, but I could be right. Who knows? I don't know what you guys think. Anyway, that's going to wrap it up for this week. If you want to support the show, the best thing you could do is subscribe and leave five stars on whatever platform you're listening on. So I really appreciate that. Leave five stars, nothing less. If you're going to leave something else uh, other than five stars, leave it on someone else's podcast. Go to chefspsa.com. You can find all the things that we're doing there. We have the merch. I put out a, a happy chef hat that I, I like it. I wear it. It's a black hat that says happy chef with a stoic face. Um, <laughs> I, I was inspired by um, uh, the movie Black Dynamite where Black Dynamite says I am smiling, but he's not smiling. Anyway, that was that was the inspiration behind that. Uh, go to chefspsa.com. You can get all the books, Culinary Leadership Fundamentals, uh, Line Cook Survival Manual, How Not to Be the Biggest Idiot in the Kitchen. There's also the free ebook um, for those of you that need the recipes, the 100 Kitchen Basics. You can download that for free. And then there's the video course on Culinary Leadership Fundamentals. Thank you all, and we'll see you next week. Hit the porno music. Music.